Chapter forty two of Delorme by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter forty two. Day had scarcely dawned when Monsieur de Retz and myself mounted our horses in the courtyard of the citadel and set out on our return to Paris. We were accompanied by but one servant each. For the decided part which the minister had taken left no doubt that all the avenues to Sedan would be watched with unslumbering vigilance. After a short discussion, it was determined that we should not attempt the direct road, and, therefore, instead of crossing the bridge of Sedan, we followed the course of the Meurs for some way. At a village, however, about two miles from the city, we learned that the passages of the rivers were guarded, and de Retz proposed to return to Sedan and cross by the bridge. My opinion, however, was different. Where we then stood, the river was narrow and not very rapid, our horses fresh and strong, so that it appeared to me much more advisable to attempt the passage here than by riding up and down the bank to call attention to our proceedings. The only objection arose with little Achilles, who had a mortal aversion to being drowned, and declared that he could not, and that he would not, swim his horse over. I decided the matter for him, however, for at a moment when he had approached close to the bank, to contemplate more nearly the horrible feat that was proposed to him, I seized his horse by the bridle, and, spurring in, was soon halfway across, leading him after me. His terror and distress, when he began to feel the buoyant motion of a horse in swimming, were beyond description. But as there was no resource, he behaved more wisely than terrified people generally do, and sitting quite still, let his fate take its course. Cutting across the country, sometimes over fields, sometimes through small bridle paths and by-roads, we at length entered the highway, at a point where suspicion, had she been inclined to exercise her ingenuity upon us, might have imagined that we had come from a thousand other places, with fully as great likelihood as Sedan. As for the road, a little higher up, branched into five others, each of which conducted in a different direction. Our journey now passed tranquilly, and on the evening of the third day we arrived at Paris. It was too late to present myself to the Countess de Soissons that night, and Monsieur de Retz offering me an apartment in his hotel, I accepted it for the time, not ill-pleased to see as much as possible of the extraordinary man into whose society I had been thrown, and commenting upon his character fully, as much as he did in all probability upon mine. On our journey we had laughed over the circumstances of our former meeting, but I found that he still entertained great doubts of my discretion, by the frequent warnings he gave me not to communicate anything I had seen at Sedan to the Countess de Soissons. "'It is a good general rule,' said he, "'never to tell a woman the truth in any circumstances. Praise her faults, abuse her enemies, humour her weakness, gratify her vanity, but never, never tell her the truth. One's deportment with a woman ought to be like a deep lake, reflecting everything, but letting no one see the bottom. Monsieur de Retz's policy was not always exactly to my taste, but as the Count de Soissons had not bid me to communicate any of his affairs to his mother, I resolved, of course, to keep them as secret from her as from any other person. As soon as I imagined that such a visit would be acceptable on the subsequent morning, 
i proceeded on horseback to the hotel de soissons wearing for the first time my fine spanish dress of white silk de retz having warned me that in all points of ceremony the countess de soissons showed no lenity to offenders to make the suit at all harmonized with a ride on horseback i was obliged to add a pair of white leather buskins to the rest but as this was quite the mode of the day Monsieur de retz declared my apparel exquisite and being himself not a little of a petit maître notwithstanding both his philosophy and his cloth he looked with a deep sigh at his black soutane which he had resumed since our arrival at paris and declared that he had no small mind to cast away the gown and draw the sword himself with a smile at human inconsistency i left him and rode away and passing by my old auberge in the rue des prouvaires soon reached the hotel de soissons here i delivered the count's note of introduction to a servant bidding him present it to the princess and inform her that the gentleman to whom it referred waited her pleasure i was not kept long in attendance in a few minutes the servant returned and bade me follow him to the apartments of the countess we mounted the grand staircase and proceeding through a suite of splendid rooms the windows of which were almost all composed of stained glass bearing the ciphers c s and c n interlaced for charles de soissons and catherine de navarre we at length reached the chamber in which the princess was seated with her women she was working at an embroidery frame while a pretty girl of about sixteen stood beside her holding the various silks of which she was making use on my being announced she raised her head showing a face in which the wreck of many beauties might still be traced and fixed her eyes somewhat sternly upon me first letting them rest upon my face and then glancing over my whole person with a grave and dissatisfied air you come here young sir said she at length dressed like a bridegroom but you will go away like a mourner your mother is dead god of heaven till that moment i had not an idea that on the earth there was a being so unfeeling as thus to communicate to a son that the tie between him and the author of his being was riven by the hand of death and yet the countess of soissons acted not from unfeeling motives she fancied me guilty of follies that in her eyes were crimes and she thought by the terrible blow that she struck at once to reprove and reclaim me at first i did not comprehend i could not i would not believe that she spoke truly when seeing my doubts in the vacancy of my expression she calmly repeated what she had said what change took place then in my countenance i know not but however it was sufficient to alarm her for the consequences of what she had done and starting up she called loudly to her women to bring water wine anything to relieve me to imagine what i felt will not be easy for any other even when it is remembered how i loved the parent i had lost how i had left her how deeply she had loved me and how suddenly how unexpectedly i heard that the whole was at an end and that the cold grave lay between us for ever my agitation was so extreme that totally forgetting the presence of the princess i cast myself into a chair and covering my face with my hands remained speechless and motionless for nearly a quarter of an hour during this time the countess de soissons passing from one extreme to the other 
did everything she could to soothe and calm me and had i been her own son she could not for the time have shown me more kindness she was frightened i believe at the state into which she had thrown me and was still endeavouring to make me speak when a tall venerable old man entered the chamber but paused i believe on seeing the confusion that reigned within she instantly called him to her assistance telling him what she had done and pointing out the consequences it had had upon me he approached and after feeling my pulse drew forth a lancet and calling for a basin bled me profusely you have done wrong my daughter said he turning to the countess with an air of authority which she bore more meekly than might have been expected mildness wins hearts while unkindness can but break them leave me with this young gentleman and i doubt not soon to restore him to himself the countess did as he bade her without reply and desiring her women to bring her embroidery frame she left the apartment the bleeding had instantly relieved me every drop that flowed had seemed so much taken from an oppressive load that overburdened my heart and when the old man sat down by me and asked if i was better i could answer him in the affirmative and thank him for his assistance i will not attempt to console you my son he proceeded for you have met with a deep and irreparable loss from all i hear your mother was one of the best and most amiable of women and through a long life we meet with so very few on whom our hearts can fix that every time death numbers one of them for his own he leaves a deep and irremediable wound with us that none but time can assuage and time himself ought never wholly to heal i know too at the moment when we find that fate has put its immovable barrier between us and those we loved when the cold small portal of the grave is shut against our communion with our friends i know that it is then that every pain we have given them is visited with double anguish upon our own hearts and a crowd of bitter unavailing regrets fills every way of memory with dark and horrible forms i wept bitterly for he had touched a chord to which my feelings vibrated but too sensitively in the gaieties of life he proceeded in the pleasures of society in the passions the interests the desires of human existence and of our own earthly nature we often forget those finer feelings those better brighter nobler sentiments which belong to the soul alone nor is it till irretrievable is stamped upon our actions that we truly feel where we have been wanting in duty in gratitude in affection but when we do feel it we ought to have a care not to let those regrets pass away in vain tears and ineffectual sorrow thus wasting the most blessed remedy that heaven has given to the diseases of the soul on the contrary we should apply them to our future conduct and by gathering instruction from the past and improvement from remorse should find in the chastisement of heaven the blessing it was intended to be as i recovered from the first shock of the tidings i had just heard i had time to consider more particularly the person who spoke to me as i have said he was an old man and from the perfect silver of his hair and beard i should have supposed him above seventy but the erectness of his carriage the whiteness of his teeth and the pure undimmed fire of his eye took much from his look of age his dress though it consisted of a long black robe was certainly not clerical and from the skill with which he had bled me 
I was rather inclined to suppose that his profession tended more towards the cure of bodies than of souls. In reply to his mild homily, which appeared to me, notwithstanding the gentleness of his language, to point at greater errors than any I could charge myself with towards the parent I had lost, I could only answer that it was hardly possible for a being made up of human weakness to be so continually brought in connection with another, as a son must be with a mother, without falling into some faults towards her. But that even now, when memory and affection joined to magnify all I had done amiss in regard to the dead, I could recall no instance in which I had intentionally given her pain. An explanation ensued, and I found that my mother, when on her deathbed, had written to the Countess de Soissons, informing her of my disappearance from Bigorre, and attributing it to love for the daughter of a roturier in the vicinity, who had also quitted the province shortly after. She gave no name and no description, but she begged the Countess de Soissons to cause search to be made for me in Paris, and to endeavour to rescue me from the debasing connection into which, she said, the blood of Bigot should have held me from ever entering. "'It is under these circumstances,' proceeded the old man, "'that the princess addressed you this morning with the abrupt news of your mother's death, "'hoping by the remorse which that news would occasion "'to win you at once from the unhappy entanglement into which you have fallen.' "'That the Countess de Soissons should be mistaken,' replied I, "'does not surprise me, for she did not know me, "'but that my mother should suppose any passion, whether worthy or unworthy, "'would have led me to inflict so much pain upon her, "'and on my father, as my unexplained absence must have done, "'does astonish and afflict me. "'Indeed, though my own death might have been the consequence of my stay, "'I was weak to fly as I did.' nor should I have done so, had my mind been in a state to judge sanely of my own conduct. Will you, sir, have the goodness to inform the Countess de Soissons that the suspicions of my mother were entirely unfounded, and that I neither fled with any one, nor for the purpose of meeting any one, as she must evidently see, from my having found and attached myself to Monsieur le Comte? My absence, sir, was occasioned by my having accidentally slain one of my fellow-creatures, and my having no means of proving that I did so accidentally. "'It has been a most unhappy mistake,' replied the old man, "'for undoubtedly it has been this idea that wounded your mother to the heart. "'But I hurt you. Do not let me do so. "'If it has been a mistake, you are no way answerable for it. "'I now go to give your message to the Countess, "'and will bring you a few lines addressed to you from your mother, "'but which, you must remember,' were written under erroneous feelings. Thus saying, he left me, and in a few minutes returned with the letter he had mentioned. The Countess, said he, is most deeply grieved at the mistake which has arisen, and especially at having, by her abruptness, aggravated the grief which you cannot but most poignantly feel. This is the letter I spake of, but you had better read it in private. If you will follow me, I will conduct you to an apartment which, while you remain at the Hôtel de Soissons, the Countess begs you would look upon as your own. I followed him in silence to a splendid suite of rooms, wherein he left me, and I had now time to indulge in all the painful thoughts to which the irreparable loss I had sustained gave rise. For some time I did not open my mother's letter, letting my thoughts wander through the field of the past, and recalling with agonising exactness 
every bright quality of the mind and every gentle feeling of the heart now laid in the dust her love for me rose up as in judgment against me and i felt that i had never known how much i loved her till death had rendered that love in vain memory so still so silent so faithless in the hurry of passion and the pursuit of pleasure now raised her voice and with painful care traced all that i had lost a thousand minute traits a thousand kind and considerate actions a thousand touches of generosity of feeling of tenderness every word every look of many long years of affection passed in review before me and sad sad was the vision when i thought that it was all gone for ever anything was better than that contemplation and with an aching heart i opened the letter the wavering and irregular lines traced while life still remained a faint struggle against death the mark of a tear given to the long painful adieu first caught my eye and wrung my very heart even before i read what follows we shall never meet again she wrote life my son and hope as far as it belongs to this earth have fled and i have nothing to think of in the world i am leaving but your happiness and that of your father i write not to reproach you louis but i write to warn and to entreat you not to disgrace a long line of illustrious ancestors by a marriage which depend upon it will be as unhappy in the end as it is degrading in itself this is my last wish my last command my last entreaty observe it as you would merit the blessing which i send you adieu my son adieu you may meet with many to cherish with many to love you but oh the love of a mother is far beyond any other that binds being to being on this earth adieu once more adieu it is perhaps a weakness and yet i cannot help thinking that even after this hand is dust my spirit might know and feel consoled if my son came to shed a tear on the stone which will soon cover the ashes of his mother every word found its way to my heart and reverting to what i had seen on the night previous to my departure from sedan i fancied that my mother's spirit had itself come to enforce her dying words and yielding to the feelings of the moment i mentally promised to obey her to the very utmost nay more with a superstitious idea that her eye could look upon me even then i kneeled and declared with as much fervency as ever vow was offered to heaven itself that i would follow her will and as soon as the enterprise to which my honour bound me was at an end would visit her tomb and pay that tribute to her memory which she had herself desired then casting myself into a seat i leaned my head upon my hands and gave full rein to every painful reflection let me pass over two days which i spent entirely in the chamber that had been allotted to me during that time every attention was paid to me by the servants of the countess de soissons and the old man whom i have before mentioned visited me more than once every time i saw him gaining upon my good opinion by the kind and judicious manner in which he endeavoured to soothe and console me without either blaming or opposing my grief still no word that fell from him gave me the least intimation in regard to the character in which he acted in the hotel de soissons though from the evident influence he possessed over the countess it was one of no small authority 
from him however i learned that my father had written briefly to the countess de soissons informing her of my mother's death to me he had not written and though i could easily conceive from his habits and character that he had shrunk from a task so painful in itself yet i could not help imagining that displeasure had some part in his silence on the evening of the second day i received a visit from de retz who notwithstanding all that had happened used every argument to stimulate me to action and in truth i felt that in my own griefs i was neglecting the interest of the prince i accordingly promised him that the next day i would exert myself as he wished and after conversing for some time on the affairs of the count i described to him the old man i had met with and asked him if he knew him slightly he replied he is an italian by birth and his name vanoni a man of infinite talent and profound learning but his name is not in very good odour amongst our more rigid ecclesiastics because he is reported to dive a little into those sciences which they hold as sacrilegious he is known to be an excellent astronomer and some people will have it astrologer also though i should suppose he has too much of real and substantial knowledge to esteem very highly that which is in all probability imaginary have you not remarked that there are fully more vulgar minds in the higher classes than there are elevated ones in the lower well the vulgar part of our noblesse called signor vanoni the countess de soissons necromancer though i believe the highest degree to which he can pretend in the occult sciences is that of astrologer and even that he keeps so profoundly concealed that their best proof of it hardly amounts to suspicion after de retz left me being resolved at all events to waste no more time every instant of which was precious to such enterprises as that of monsieur le comte i desired achilles to find me out the archer who had so well aided him in recovering my ring and to bring him to me early the next morning this he accordingly executed and at my breakfast which was served in my own apartments my little attendant presented to me a tall solemn personage who looked wise enough to have passed for a fool had it not been for a certain twinkling spirit that every now and then peeped out at the corner of his eye and seemed to say that the obtuseness of his deportment was but a mask to hide the acuter mind within i made these observations while i amused him for a moment or two in empty conversation till i could find an opportunity of dismissing two lackeys of the countess who had orders to wait upon me at my meals and by what i perceived i judged that it would be a difficult matter to conceal my own purpose from such a person while i drew from him what information i required i resolved however to attempt it and consequently when the servants were gone i turned to the subject of my ring and saying that i really thought he had been insufficiently paid for the talent and activity he had shown upon the occasion i begged his acceptance of a gold piece the man looked in my face with a dead flat stupidity of aspect which completely covered all his thoughts but at the same time i very well divined that he did not in the least attribute the piece of gold to the affair of the ring he followed the sure policy however of closing his hand upon the money making me a low bow with that most uncommitting sentence monsieur is very good i suppose proceeded i that the strange fact of pipeurs swindlers swashbucklers and bravos of all description continually evading the pursuit of dame justice 
notwithstanding her having such acute servants as yourself, is more to be attributed to your humanity than to your ignorance of their secrets. This was put half as a question, half as a position, but in such a way as evidently to show that it led to something else. An intelligent gleam sparked in the corner of the archer's eye, and I fancied that some information concerning the worthy fraternity I inquired after was about to follow. But he suddenly gave a glance towards Achilles, and resuming his look of stolidity, replied, "'Monsieur is very good.' "'Go to Monsieur de Retz, Achilles,' said I, "'and tell him that if it suits his convenience I will be with him in an hour.' Achilles was not slow in taking the hint, and when he was gone I proceeded, spreading out upon the table some ten pieces of gold. "'About these swashbucklers,' said I, "'I am informed they are a large fraternity.' "'Fast!' replied the archer, in a more communicative tone. "'And pray, where do they principally dwell?' demanded I. "'In every part of Paris,' said the archer, looking up in my face. "'From the Place Royale to the darkest nook of the Faubourg Saint-Antoine. "'But it is dangerous for a gentleman to venture amongst them.' I saw he began to wax communicative, and I pushed a piece of gold across the table to confirm his good disposition. The gold disappeared, and the archer went on. "'I would not advise you to venture among them, monsieur, "'but if you would tell me what sort of men you want, "'doubtless I could find them for you, and I keep counsel.' "'Why, my good friend,' replied I, "'I did not exactly say that I wanted any men, "'but if you will call me over the names and qualities "'of two or three of your most respectable acquaintances, "'I will see whether they be such as may suit my service.' The archer paused for a moment, screwing up his eye into a curious air of sharp contemplation, and then suddenly replied, "'If I knew what your lordship wanted them for, I could better proportion their abilities.' "'For general service, man, for general service,' replied I. "'The men I require must obey my word, defend my life, drug my enemies, brawl for my friends, and in no case think of the consequences.' "'I understand,' replied the archer. I understand. There are Jean Le Mestre and François Le Nain, but I doubt they are too coarse-handed for your purpose. They are fit for nothing but robbing a travelling jeweller or frightening an old woman into fits. They won't exactly do, replied I, at least if we can find any others. Oh, plenty of others, plenty of others, said the archer. Then there are Pierre Latneau and Martin La Choline. They were once, too, as sweet youths as ever graced the Place de Grève, but they have been spoiled by bad company. They took service with the Marquis de Saint-Brie, and such service ruins a man for life. I should certainly suppose it did, replied I. But proceed to some others. We have only heard of four yet. Don't be afraid, said the archer. I have a long list. Your lordship would not like a Jesuit. They are devilish cunning. "'Sharp hands, men of action, too. "'I know an excellent Jesuit who would suit you to a hair in many respects. "'He is occasionally employed, too, by Monsieur de Noyer, one of our ministers, "'and would cheat the devil himself. "'But as I do not pretend to half the cunning of his infernal majesty,' replied I, "'this worthy Jesuit might cheat me, too.' "'That is very possible,' answered the archer. "'But stay,' he proceeded thoughtfully. I have got the very men that will do. You need a brace, monsieur. Of course you need a brace. There is Combalet de Carignan, 
one of our most gallant gentlemen, and Jacques Moqueur, as he is called, because he laughs at everything. They were both in the secret service of his eminence the cardinal, but they one day did a little business on their own account which came to his ears, and he vowed that he would give them a touch of the round bedstead. They knew him to be a man of his word, so they made their escape, till the matter blew by, and now they are living here in Paris on other means. "'And pray, what is the round bedstead?' demanded I. "'Something unpleasant, doubtless, from its giving such celerity to the motions of your friends.' "'Nothing but a certain wheel in the inside of the Bastille,' replied the archer, "'on which a gentleman is suffered to repose himself quietly after all his bones are put out of joint. "'But, as I was saying, these two gallants are just the men for your lordship's service. "'Bold, dexterous, cunning.' and they have withal a spice of honour and chivalry about them, which makes them marvellously esteemed amongst their fellows. Will they suit you, monsieur? I think they will, replied I, but I must see them first. Nothing so easy, answered the archer. I will bring them here at any hour your lordship pleases to name. Not here, replied I. I must not take too many liberties with the Hôtel de Soissons, but I have a lodging in the Rue des Prêtes Saint-Paul, on the left hand going down the fifth door from the corner nearly opposite a grocer's shop bring them there at dusk to-night and accept that for your trouble so saying i pushed him over two more of the gold pieces and having once more satisfied himself that he perfectly remembered the direction i had given him the archer took his leave and i proceeded to my rendezvous with de retz chapter forty two